You are listening to Beyond the Verse, a Star Citizen podcast. A show dedicated to Cloud Imperium games, Star Citizen and Squadron 42. Whether you fight, explore, unite, and or trade, we bring you news, updates, interviews, reviews, and analysis. So sit back, relax, grab yourself a pour of Radagast, and join us as we go Beyond the Verse. Launch sequence activated. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 22 of Beyond the Verse Star Citizen podcast. I'm your host, Solace, and we have quite a lot to cover uh, actually since last Friday. So, first off, happy Starfield Day. The moment I'm done recording here, I get to drive to Best Buy and pick up my Constellation Edition. I didn't get it pre-ordered through Bethesda, so a lot of individuals got theirs yesterday. But I have to go to Best Buy and pick up mine. So I'm super excited about that. If you're listening to this podcast, more than likely you're getting Starfield 2. Um, so I just wanted to wish you the best. I hope the game is successful. It's It can only be good things for the space community. And honestly, it can only mean good things for the Star Citizen community as well. So without uh, going more into Starfield, because that's kind of like breaking the tease into the actual purpose of this podcast, um, let's cover what we are talking about today. So we had a busy Friday last Friday. Um, they dropped the CitizenCon goodies, which has in and of itself its own controversy, which we'll cover. It dropped, or we dropped the Jump Point issue 1104. There's a lot to unpack there. We won't go through every single article like we normally do, because again, there's a lot to cover today. And then the PTU 3.20 patch notes. Uh, it's, it's live in the PTU, and I've got my own kind of predictions on the timing of everything. Um, that'll be my little hot take, if you will. But before we get into anything else, it's our first ad break. <laughs> so I'm proud about this. I recorded it the other day, um, and I'm not going to preview this every single episode that we have in ad, but um, today's sponsors is brought to you by Spotify for Podcasters. So here we go. And if you're watching on YouTube, that that is a uh, a Spotify solely uh, ad. So it's kind of weird if you're watching on YouTube, it just goes straight into this conversation. But if you're on podcast, again, I hope that was something more pleasant than just talking at you. So there we go. Let's get into the content. So first off, the namesake for today's episode, we're calling this Coexist. And it might sound overdramatic. It might... I don't know, maybe it doesn't need to be something as as profound as coexist. But again, today is the launch of the early access of Starfield. And I just wanted to I just wanted to pull up a chair at a table and have you sit with us and let's just talk about it. Like we don't need to necessarily go through any reviews. I don't need to show you IGN or GameSpot um, and read those to you, but let's let's talk about what people are saying. So first off, let's just get into IGN and GameSpot, the two, you know, dinosaurs of review sites. They have rated Starfield a 7 out of 10, which, I mean, honestly, is pretty mediocre. 
Um, most most games, Baldur's Gate 3, the Final Fantasy, I don't know, 16, whichever one we're on now. Um, those are 8s, 9s, 10s, right? Um, for Starfield to have as much clout and as much, um, I don't know, um, motivation behind it um, or or namesake behind it, a seven is kind of underwhelming. But here's what they're saying, and I'll, I'll spare you I'll spare you the time of going and reading the review. One, it's a great game. If you like Skyrim, you're gonna like Starfield. Okay, that's all I needed to hear. Personally, that's all I needed to hear. And let me just quickly make sure that I'm recording on Audacity, because I did that the other day. Um, that's all I needed to hear. I, I don't necessarily need this like profound, uh, where the game plays a little better or uh, the main storyline isn't as deep. I don't think I needed that. I know the game is up in space. I know it's made by the same people who made Skyrim. I know this is going to be an amazing game. Okay, so let's read on, right? So they get further into um, what m more than likely is the commonplace among all reviews. And it's this idea of an inventory. Um, the inventory management is is very bad. Now, again, I don't have it yet. I got to go pick it up after I record this podcast. Um, but everything I'm reading and the little snippets I'm watching, uh, yeah, it, it looks bad. It looks awful. But here's the good news. Patch updates. Like, that's one of the easiest things to update. Either Either A, patch updates, or B, mods like we already know that the mods in this game are going to be epic i saw the other day there's already plans to put the entire star wars universe inside of starfield because the mod capabilities will allow it right um, or something like it right i don't know if they can call it mosaicely or they can call it you know um any one of those planets not to get onto that lore but I, I don't think they can go that far, but the intent is to create endless and infinite amount of like mod created systems. So that's just, that's interesting to me. Um, and it also gives Starfield that 12 year lifespan the way it did in Skyrim. So inventory management, it, it can probably go away. I, I don't think it's really going to be that big of an issue. We'll find out. But for the most part, every other review is singing its praises. It's great. Skyrim up in space. It's it's deep. The levels of depth are crazy. You can build your own base. You can build your own ship. Like all these things are very attractive, right? It's 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 interesting. So there is a dichotomy right now between Starfield and Star Citizen. Now I'm in the camp of loving both. So I'm not even gonna start that debate. But the dichotomy I'm talking about is like what you love about Star Citizen and wish it had is Starfield. What you love about Starfield and wish it had is Star Citizen. So like if you could just marry the two, hey, that'd be a great, that'd be a great game, right? But we are looking forward to the pioneer and Star Citizen to be able to base build. Right, we're looking forward to that. We're looking forward to the hangers coming back where we're able to modify and put uh, our personal belongings inside of the ships, right? And are inside of our hangar. So we're looking forward to that capability which already exists in Starfield. Now the problem with Starfield, it's got limitations. Shocker. 
a first person game is going to have invisible walls on a planet. I'm not surprised. Like, I don't know. You, you can get into what the developer said and, you know, misquote, um, not, not you misquote, but they misquote their own capabilities. Like you can get into that. That's, I mean, and I think that is worth a debate, but did you really expect them, them to already have the star citizen capabilities in a first person one player game? No, absolutely not. Star Citizen has been trying to master it for over 11 years. I don't think Starfield would have been able to accomplish that in the time that they were developing their game. So I think I think the limitations there is going to it's going to it's going to be non-existent for those who don't play Star Citizen. But if you do play Star Citizen, you're going to you're going to see it and you're going to feel it. I saw a video the other day where someone was standing on a mountainside or a ridge uh, a ridge looking out to where the main city should be but they didn't see it on the horizon right it didn't render it's not there because they're too far away from the city so you know in star citizen you have the blessing of if it if it exists in the game you're you're going to see it relative to your distance relative to your size that that doesn't necessarily exist right in the current state of starfield so it's going to have its limitations if you're okay with Skyrim in space, that's what you're getting. And, and I'm super excited about that. I call this segment coexist because I, I personally, I, I'm, I'm worn out by the diction that is existing on social media right now. Like it, it is insane. There's so much animosity from the star citizen community from my community there's so much animosity towards this game before it even came out today right um judgment about reviews and how you know if you go and play this game you you know please don't come back to star citizen one that's inappropriate two it's immature three why would you want that why <laughs> like look at starfield as a recruiting mechanism right push your friends to go play starfield enjoy that and be like hey now imagine that multiplayer with an endless, streamless, seamless experience in a persistent universe. And there you have Star Citizen. Like use it to bring friends into the game, right? So I don't know, it, it, is, it is possible to like both. And I have beat that horse dead many times on this show. It's okay to like both. You should like both. Go enjoy both for what they bring to the genre and what they bring to the space community. All right, so I I hope you go and play the game. Enjoy it. Sincerely, go and enjoy it. More than likely, next week on episode 23, we're going to cover first impressions. That'll give me six days or seven days-ish to play the game, and I'm going to have a response to it. No, I'm not going to give you a review. I'm not IGN, nor do I ever want to be. Nor do I ever claim to have like the best understanding of what the majority of gamers want. But I'll give you my fair shake. I'll give you my my impressions of the game. And I think I wish most content creators just did that. Instead, for likes and attention, they create this this animosity. They create this drama between the games, and it's entirely unnecessary. And again, your likes and attention are going to last for a season, and then you're going to be either claimed as pretty salty or or defined as salty, or you know, you're just forgotten about, right? 
So let me move on from that. It's going to be a phenomenal game. I wish you the best. I can't wait to get the Constellation Edition. Evidently, the watch is uh, amazing. Evidently, the box is amazing that it comes in. Let's go. Can't, can't wait to get into it. All right, Star Citizen. Let's, let's get to the topic uh, that I think everybody is on this podcast really to experience. So again, Friday was packed. And for Friday, uh, they first dropped the CitizenCon 2953 Digital Goodies Pack. For those of you on YouTube, I'm going to go ahead and share my screen. You should now see it. I hope you do. I haven't checked my visuals, so that'll be funny. All right. There's some controversy that is surrounding this, and we'll cover that after I brief or after I read this. Uh, but for those of you who are attending with the general pass or the VIP or premium access pass, you're going to get this for free. It comes with your ticket. But if you're not attending the Citizen Con actually physically in LA, um, you can buy the digital goodies pack for $30. So we'll get into that here in a second. But let's just read and we'll go from there. Citizen Con 2953 fast approaches. We know that not everyone is able to make it out to Los Angeles, California for the big show, but that doesn't mean you can't still get in the spirit. This year, we're introducing our largest digital goodies pack to date, loaded with exclusive content to let the people of Stanton know you're ready for an expedition to Pyro. This year's pack features all the same digital items that come with the ticket to CitizenCon 2953, including an exclusive paint for your Drake Dragonfly. Who the heck has a Drake Dragonfly? Like, I don't know, that's a $25, $30 ship. So anyways, whatever. I used to have one uh, from a uh, referral bonus, then I immediately upgraded it. I think that's what my Carrick is upgraded from, was from the Dragonfly. Anyways, I digress. Matching undersuit and helmet, a ruinous shotgun, specially themed multi-tool with carrying case, ooh, fancy. Gruesome relic compliments of the Headhunters gang, a challenge coin and plushie commemorating the legendary, quote, redacted, end quote, ship. This year's CitizenCon trophy, and of course, a pyrocentric spectrum badge. Break. Okay, um, redacted ship. What do we think that this redacted ship is? Man, you can uh, you can surmise a lot. So here was my crazy idea. So my crazy idea is that because of Starfield, because its ability to base build, um, and because they said that Pyro, like you couldn't launch this ship until Pyro launched, I think it might be like a pioneer. I think they might be looking towards like dropping the bomb that the pioneer is close to being launched again because they in pyro there's a bunch of gas planets in inhabit inhabilitated unable to habitat good lord i can't think of it it's early in the morning bear with me um but you can't live on these ships inhabitable there you go good lord um <laughs> so you're, you're gonna need to be able to build bases and and biomes that you're able to like live and move around um, so I'm curious, it might be something like the Pioneer, but there's a lot of people that came back to that, that, that theory and said it was probably like another version of the Arrow. Sure, why not? Back to the article. Here's what you're getting in the 2953 Digital Goodies Pack. The Frontier Undersuit, Frontier Helmet, 
the Citizen Con 2953 trophy, the Outlaw Shotgun Headhunter Gang Relic Collectible, Pyrotechnic Amalgamated Multi-Tool and Case, the Redacted Ship Plushie, the Redacted Ship Challenge Coin, the Citizen Con 2953 Dragonfly Paint, and the Pyrotechnic Amalgamated Spectrum Badge. We'll be building a handful of these items live on the show floor of CitizenCon with your input. For this reason, some items will be delivered later this year. It's been four long years since we've had a physical CitizenCon, so whether you're joining us in LA or watching from home, we can't wait to celebrate our shared universe with you on October 21st and 22nd. Cool. So here you go. So you can pick up, uh, it's available now. So obviously if you have a ticket, either premium access or general access, it's coming with your ticket. Or I think I said $30, it's actually $35. You can get it digital, digitally now, right? So you can add that to your cart and purchase it. Let me clear my throat real quick. I still haven't fully recovered from last week. <laughs> so let me, uh, let, let me just take a couple seconds real quick. Yeah, from like a personal standpoint, my whole family's like done right now. <laughs> Daughter's throwing up. Son has the same cough that I do. I'm jacked up. My wife, bless her heart, is just challenging through it, right? Just pushing all through it. So it's been fun. Um, awesome. So there's your Citizen Con 2953. Real quick, I was going to go to Jump Point next, but I think instead I want to go to uh, Patch 320 Patch Notes. So here we go. Let's load it up from the spectrum. Share my screen. Okay. I, I will always preface when I get into PTU information. I, I have never and I will never participate in the PTU. <clears throat> that one snuck up on me. Um, it, it's not for any... It's not for any negative reason. I, I, I just, here's my hot take. For those who already got into 320 and flew the whole sea and saw Seraphim Station and then go to play Starfield, they have nothing to look forward to after Starfield. Once they're done with Starfield, they're going to come back to Star Citizen and, and there's nothing for them to look forward to. And for me, I haven't flown the whole sea. I haven't been able to see Seraphim Station or the C1. I'm sure that'll be something that comes out when the actual patch releases. So I don't know. I, I, I can no weird um, like hard feelings or am I, am I like anti PTU? I just want to prolong it because I already see the alpha as a test realm right so I, I'm, gonna, I'm not even going to touch it but here's what you're getting in 320 in the PTU. So not whenever it comes out on live, but in the PTU currently. Let's go to the article. Alpha Patch 320 has been released to the PTU and is now available to test. Patch should show version 320.0 and a bunch of numbers. It is strongly recommended that players delete their user and shader folders. Nothing new there. Uh, and then it gets into known issues. So known issues, you can read through that if you would like to, whatever. They're going to address those between now and whenever it launches. Here we go. The new features that you're actually getting in the PTU 320. So you're going to get Seraphim Station. 
bringing the Crusader port station in line with the other stations and replacing the long-standing port Olasar. Seraphim Station brings many of the amenities needed to accommodate the various features required of a station such as hangars, cargo decks, shopping, clinics, and habs. Gameplay Automated Cargo Transfer and New Cargo Packing System Alpha 320 includes the addition of a new automated cargo transferal experience to the PU for the whole sea. The existing cargo transaction system, which other ships will use, will still use for this release, will instantly pop all of the purchased cargo into a ship or instantly remove all sold cargo off the ship after the transaction has been completed. The whole sea, however, requires a new experience where the players Yep, when the players uh, get assigned a loading area, similar to getting assigned to a landing area from an ATC. After flying their ship to the loading area, they will be prompted to stop moving and then extend the spindles on their ship. Once the ship is ready, cargo will be added onto the cargo grids for the ship over a period of approximately five or so minutes, depending on the size of the load. Currently, these boxes will just pop into place. If the player moves or someone enters the area, the transfer will be interrupted until the disruption is addressed or the loading area is eventually revoked. After transfer is completed successfully, the player will be prompted to leave the area, eventually getting a warning for impounding if they do not. With the changes for the whole sea, with the changes for the whole sea comes a complete rewrite of how the cargo system places cargo into ships, any ships, not just the whole sea. Previous versions of this system only dealt with 1SU containers and could use fairly simple logic for placement or removal. We are now supporting various sized boxes to be placed in the cargo holds, 1, 2, 4, 8, 16, 24, and 32, as well as supporting various orientations of placement in the grid to work around grid obstructions. This also includes temporary tractor beam strength changes to support the attachment detachment of those various sized boxes using the tractor beam. Cargo grids have also been extended to support non-cargo box attachments and also the smaller mission handheld boxes. Break. So I think the whole C opens up what I originally fell in love with in Star Citizen. So many of you know I work for Amazon. I'm going on my 11th year and I originally started out in logistics, right? In the fulfillment centers. And so this idea of shipping and cargo, logistics, um, all of that was something that I can base my passion around, which now I'm a senior program manager. I deal with data and the strategy behind what we do at Amazon from a business perspective, but it's all rooted in that idea. So when I first jumped into Star Citizen, I, I think it was, uh, it, it was Invictus, of course, but I think it was the C2, the Hercules C2 that I started doing cargo runs from like a planet to a planet or a moon or a satellite to a planet. And I remember getting into the weeds. Like I remember doing this calculation over like time, versus uh, cargo hold, uh, return on investment, product yield, all that, right? I, and I, I, I created a spreadsheet, um, created Soul Provision, the organization Soul Provision is based off of that experience. It's this idea that like I would love like cargo running, but having everything that comes with it, right? Security is gonna need to be there. Uh, you're gonna need some sort of exploring vessels to like, I don't know, um, 
reconnaissance and surveillance missions in order to go see a planet and see where the cargo might be if it's in a contested area if you're gonna have to fight your way to it all of those right all those considerations so in my mind for me it always started with you know logistics cargo running and then all the different game loops coming out of that and so when i hear or when i read about the whole sea and its experience of like you're going to be you know going to seraphim station or you know these orbital stations that have the massive like almost looks like conaxes like the 18 wheeler uh containers like just the whole experience of getting there onboarding the cargo that whole loop to me i don't know why uh it, it's so appealing to me like that that to me seems a lot of fun and it seems a lot of fun to do that or start doing that into the whole sea so anyways I, i'm excited about where we're going with the supply capabilities of the whole sea Let's keep going. One more thing about the PTU-320. Let's get into it. New mission, illegal salvage cover-up mission. Salvage cover-up is a new variation on the salvage missions. These new missions come as a new illegal mission contract called the Tar Pits to cover up for the perpetrator of a crime, in this case, Nine Tails, who want to keep their involvement under the radar. You are tasked to whole scrape their entire ship to remove the Nine Tails paint job before the ship evidence is discovered by security. If security forces arrive before you manage to perform the cover-up, the security ships spot the whole colors, report back, and you will fail and be attacked if at the location. Do it in time, and the tar pits will pay you handsomely for your efforts and your silence. And then, of course, ships and vehicles, Miss Colsey. Uh, I'm personally like less interested in the illegal salvage cover-up mission. Um, it has nothing to do with you know whether or not your um, a protagonist or antagonist like good or bad like that that means nothing to me i think it's more um well, let me be very transparent with you like i don't like timed missions yeah like i don't like timed missions there's a a box running mission where you have to put three different types of boxes on your ship and one of them like you can't quantum travel right so that's a thing but then there's also one that's timed where you have to get it to its location a certain amount of time um, or you fail the mission. And I don't know, like that's just not it for me. Like that's not, that's not my mission type, that's not my shtick. So I like being able to get into a ship, do my thing, take my time. I mean, heck, I, I can step away and handle my kids or I, I have a work escalation. Like I'm, I'm able to engage in those things. I'm not like, wait, hold on, kids, shut up, I have, five more seconds before I need to deliver off this box like that I don't like that <laughs> uh, it, it's not my preferred mission style so I think that might be why I'm just not really interested in it it, it, it will interest I think most people are going to like the uh, the role play aspect they're gonna like the depth of this mission it's just not me it's just not me okay let's get into jump point so Again, this is all still Friday. I mean, we're how many minutes into this podcast and we're still talking about Friday. We will not be going into the entire jump point um, like PDF. Um, I will share my screen. We will go into the PDF, but I'm not going to read you like article for article. But just in summary, uh, they start off by talking about the Port Olisar, kind of the why 
they're breaking away from Polar Olisar and going to Seraphim Station. Uh, I feel like this is kind of old news. We've been talking about it for a couple of weeks now, if not months. Um, so nothing's really new there, but it, it, you know they're paying a homage, right? They're they're taking time to put it in literature on the why they're going to Seraphim Station. So I had the main article up as opposed to the actual PDF. So bear with me. I'm going to get the article up so we can take a look at it at the same time for those of you on YouTube. And I think we're good here. Sharing screen. So this is Jump Point 1104, um, the August edition. And I think they're trying to release this every other month. I think that's their cadence. Uh, so we didn't see one in what July, but maybe we saw one in June. Um, but I think it's every other month. But here we are, Jump Point uh, in development. So exactly what I just said. They're going to talk about uh, Port Olisar, the Mirai Fury. Uh, they're going to get into uh, Wildstar Racing and where it came from. Uh, but let's just go through this really quick. So from the cockpit, like, hey, here's where we're at, getting ready for CitizenCon, etc. Very cool. And then it gets into Seraphim Station. So mainly, if you already know like the backstory of Port Olisar and Seraphim Station, this to me was my first glimpse of, of screenshots, maybe the rendering or the art of it. Uh, but it is fun to get into some of these, again, hopefully you're able to see my screen, but some of these where they're mapping out the interior of the station and like what needs to go where and why. So I like I like getting behind like the mind of of the creators. So you know you got these beautiful moons in the background. Um, walking down the hallway or walking down, you know this lane and seeing this massive planet like outside of the window. Again, I think that's an experience that is very Star Citizen. It's like true to the the nature of Star Citizen. And then it gets into kind of the sad piece. It gets into like, well, here, here once was Port Olazar. So the why behind it and the memories. Uh, let me just cough real quick. And the memories that came with Port Olazar. And again, I, I kind of have, um, I guess, a closer tie to it even now because I did my last video, the Constellation Phoenix video. I did it on one of these hangar bays before they got rid of Port Olisar. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be sad to see it go. But Seraphim Station looks very similar, right? It looks very similar to what um, Port Olisar did right on the outside. But good station, or sorry, good article about the station. I encourage you to read it. Uh, but again, you know, it's it's a it's a send off, right? It is a send off to one of the very first, actually the very first spawn points in Star Citizen, like back in three what three oh seven, like three seven or three fourteen. It's like really early in the in the process. And then we get into the Mariah Fury, so. Uh, man, yeah, I guess I'll repeat myself. Um, again, until you're able to spawn ships within ships, I find it very hard to get into some of these that don't have quantum drives. It's my thing. It's my thing to get over. It's my barrier. I'm not saying that that is a big deal. CIG needs to stop what they're doing and fix it. It's just, it's just my reality. So there's some of these ships I'm just not going to really get into. However, the Mariah Fury racing series 
Absolutely. That makes total sense to me. It's already fast. It's already nimble. Uh, I already like low flying in the Mariah Fury because of the visibility it has. Yeah, I can see going to a mining facility and popping this and then flying around whatever I need to do in that mining facility, in that mining area. Yeah, makes total sense. Absolutely, right? Um, but the others, like for bounty hunting, uh, I, I just don't see how that's, I don't see how that's scalable or how, in this current moment, how it's operational because of the quantum drive issue. Not to beat that dead horse. This article gets into like the thought process, where it came from, just how close it looks to an X-Wing, but whatever, well, it's a whole nother conversation. That's kind of a TIE fighter. Um, so it went from like an X-Wing idea to like a TIE fighter idea or a TIE bomber, um, another Star Wars homage, which I'm sure had nothing to do with their design, wink, wink. But some really cool pictures here, the whys, the hows, what they're, you know, a two-seater right here. It looks like a two-seater. Uh, actually, no, that's just the windows open. Yeah, that's just the windows open. So you get the history behind it, the development of it. Uh, the MX is so sexy, right? The MX is that it's like the uh, opaque visor shield that when it drops, it's actually a, it's a shield full of little cameras. So it's it's just really futuristic. It's you know you get behind it, you see the monitors turn on, and then you can see you know your full spectrum, the full outside of your ship. It's very very well done. So the more they can get into those kind of design uh, choices, you know I I think I think that's where um, the future of star citizenships. I think that's where that's going, right? The idea of these like old fashioned drakes are always going to be around but these futuristic, right? Mirai Fury, for instance. Um, I think that's where we're going. That's, that's what we can get excited about. And then quickly, here are little snippets of the LX. The LX is the racing edition, right? The upcoming, going to the article, the upcoming racing variant entered concept after the MX to take advantage of the pocket fighter's increasingly potent maneuverability. No weapons, jump drive, or creature comforts. The LX is a zero compromise approach to competition craft not seen before in the verse. It kind of reminds me of, there's like a Mustang, and I'm, it's not the GT500, but it's the Mustang, oh uh, man, maybe like the Boss? I think it's like the Mustang Boss that's completely gutted out, like no AC, it's, it's literally like a racing, a civilian racing um, version of the Mustang. But that's kind of how I see this. It's a gutted out, looks great from the outside, but it is a gutted out Mariah Fury if they weren't already gutted out. It's even more so uh, for racing purposes. Cool. Last but not least, there is a drop on Wildstar Racing. It's the backstory or the history of Wildstar Racing. So great article there. Like I said, I don't want to spend too much time on that because again, we're still only in Friday. Let's get to this week in Star Citizen. Here we go. Screen sharing, finally. Welcome to Monday. Last week, some of our community and development teams attended a trio of Bar Citizen events in Cologne, Germany in tandem with Gamescom. The turnout was unbelievable, eclipsing our Gamescom events in the past. We were so happy to meet so many of you, veteran backers and fresh pilots alike. Check out the photo gallery below, uh, the content schedule, and we hope to see you all again soon. Alpha 320 is now in the PTU Wave 2, the whole sea mining and ship stat updates, and an absolute bevy of new Arena Commander content. 
including a Master Modes limited test, are now available to put through their paces. We've already received some fantastic feedback and we're hoping to open up to more PTU waves very soon. Ship Showdown's Phase 2 kicked off last week and we saw some pretty intense battles between some fan favorite ships, including a few upsets. Although the Carrick might have had it coming. I wonder who wrote this article. Today's bout puts two of the most common multi-crew ships in the verse up against each other, the Cutlass Black and the Andromeda, which the Andromeda won. Make sure to get your votes in as we approach the Elite 8 matchups later this week, which we'll cover here in a couple seconds. Last but not least, we're less than eight weeks away from CitizenCon 2953, and we could not be more excited to see you all in the big weekend. Details and tickets here. Uh, yep, yeah, Jake Bradley. Freaking Jake Bradley. So, and the reason why I say that, uh, I say that because during that battle, uh, the Carrick, um, the Carrick and the, good lord, mine's going blank. Who did the Carrick phase? Hold on, hold on. I'm getting way ahead of myself. Carrick lost to, oh, the freaking Terrapin. Jeez, yeah, that's like insult to injury. Yeah, but like during the voting window or whatever um jake was on twitter saying get wrecked to the carrick so yeah i'm not gonna get ahead of myself we'll talk about that in a second uh but anyways no let's talk about it now that's a great it's a great segue let's just do this I'm, I'm doing this real time uh man this 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 freaking tournament so let's talk about round one let's talk about round one and actually you know what i'm currently showing the robert space industry site i think for this segment let's go to my beautiful mind spreadsheet yeah let's do that okay here we go round one match one fury versus arrow we knew like i don't know i knew the arrow was gonna win and it won pretty handedly at 55 percent of the vote cool scorpius versus the redeemer um i think that was going to be a close one regardless I love the X-Wing Scorpius, but the Redeemer, not to rehash last week's episode, but the Redeemer is a heavy gunship that can serve, you know, four people, and it barely won, 52% of the vote. Reclaimer Vulture, uh, Vulture ended up beating the Reclaimer. That was like the first surprise for me. Um, They both are salvagers. Reclaimer is your org uh, version of the salvager, and it's also the largest ship in the game, and it can be named but I think this was the first time in this specific tournament where we saw the more commonplace, the cheaper, the more owned Vulture winning out. And it did. And won pretty handedly. It won with 57% of the vote. And then match four. Match four happened. So we had the Terrapin versus the Carrick. I, my mind was blown that the Terrapin won, that the Terrapin of all ships beat the Carrick. It's that turtle thing that really serves no purpose. It has high whole HP, but that's about it. There's really no other reason to have it. Um, and the, you could say the same thing. Well, it's, it's an exploration ship, right? It's got radar capability. Okay. But the, for the same reason you voted against the Carrick and the Mercury because of those capabilities not being live, well, the Terrapin's capability is not live either. So this was more about a vote against the Carrick than it was for the Terrapin. 
Again, this contest has been going on for four years now. The Carrick has won two of the four. So I can understand the, you know, not this year approach, right? I can understand that. But if you're looking like pound for pound, metric for metric, in no world or no universe is the Terrapin beating the Carrick. So this was absolutely an anti-Carrick vote. And it, it won handedly. I mean, it won with 53 and a third of the vote, right? 53.33%. Moving on, Corsair and the Mercury. This, this, uh, this could have gone either way for me. And I did think I misspoke um, on last week's episode. I think I recall saying like the price of each ship and I was, I was, I was wrong. So the Mercury is about a $260 ship and the Corsair is a $250 ship. So they're roughly the same price. Mercury being a data runner that has a big garage and a tunnel system underneath the ship. The Corsair being an exploration ship. Again, a big garage, um, but a kind of a broken down Drake version of an exploration vehicle. I thought it was gonna be closer than what it was. I honestly thought the Mercury was going to squeeze it out at the very end. Uh, but no, the Corsair won, again, handedly, with about 57% of the vote. The Andromeda versus the Cutlass Black matchup. Um, I didn't really care about this one. Like I, the Cutlass Black to me is still probably the best ship in the game for its like value. It's like $110, $120. Uh, it's a great starter pack if you end up buying the Cutlass Black starter. Uh, I think it might still come with the mule, um, but you can put the mule in the back of the Cutlass Black. Like it, it's just a great, it's a great ship. But up against the Andromeda, I don't know anybody who actively flies the Andromeda. Like no one in my org like touts the Andromeda. So I don't necessarily know where this vote came from. It received the most votes. Out of the entire competition in round one, it has the most votes at 16,000 votes, 16,968, so almost 17,000 votes. It beat the Cutlass Black with 61% of the vote. Like it wasn't even a contest. The Cutlass Black voters did not turn out. That was surprising to me. And then you get into the 400i versus the 600i. And this is where, let me clear my throat, hold on. Back to the 400i and 600i. This is where my beautiful mind spreadsheet came came out like in a couple days ago. I posted so much on social media and so much on TikTok making videos about this anomaly, but this was a statistical miracle. Like the, the probability of this happening is so low. There were combined 26,276 votes. It was determined by less then 0.25% of the vote. Only 44 votes, I'm sorry, only 64 votes. Only 64 votes separated out of 26,276. That is insane that only that many votes separated the two. The 600i came out on top with 50.12% of the vote. But again, that is just, that boggles my mind from a statistics point of view, right? Like if I were to go to my boss or present a WBR, a weekly business review or an MBR, monthly business review, like that would be something we would want to break down. 
like how what like how is that possible <laughs> statistically how is that possible so that was just insane and then the last the cutter versus the 890 jump this was stupid like i this was to me this was my sanity check for the star citizen community and the star citizen community failed they failed their sanity check the cutter like a 40 dollar ship came in with 15,000 votes whereas the 890 jump came in with 10,500 votes like it wasn't even close 58.9 percent voted for the cutter the cutter is a starter ship it is a again like i said 45 dollar ship um it's it's a it's a phenomenal starter ship it is for what it is it's phenomenal but it was definitely a slob versus snob competition because the 890 jump is this literally $1,000 ship of USD United States dollars or in game it's like 36 million UEA, um, UEA or I'm sorry UEC good lord or it's like 36 or 38 UEC million UEC so it's an expensive ship it's luxurious I kind of was upset that the community won't be able to fly this in the Elite 8 right the Elite 8 is where you know, it's a free fly. Every ship that makes the Elite Eight, you could fly it. I was thinking 150 or more, you know, people on a server flying an 890 jump would have been amazing. Um, but yeah, it got spanged. And I would never would have thought. So here we go. Ending round one. Total votes are down about 677 bips year over year. Um, again, we talked about this last episode. I don't think it matters. So many other games have our attention. Everybody's really diving into Starfield. Um, I don't think the votes being down year over year really means anything. Or you could look into it and you could see that the motivation might be down or the morale of a Star Citizen community might be down. Might be, right? There's no anecdotes to really prove one or the other. I think there's more proof or more anecdotes supporting my thesis. I think people are playing other games because there's so much to do boulders gate 3 alone which is going to be the game of the year mark my words and then starfield coming out literally today so votes are going to be down we already started round two as of yesterday arrow versus redeemer um later in round two you got the vulture versus terrapin that's going to be uh interesting i want to vote vulture because I, I would rather have a functional ship like i don't know a salvager that actually has a salvaging loop rather than the terrapin which is a paperweight <laughs> the corsair versus the andromeda and then the 600i versus the cutter that needs to be the 600i like it i'm gonna keep voting against the cutter not because the cutter is a bad ship but because I, it's just not best in show in no way is it best in show Alrighty. So we, we kind of skipped ahead. We did the bracket because of the transition. Let's actually go to the Elite Eight. Um, going back to sharing my screen, they released another article about the Elite Eight. Um, and let me just let me just go through and read it real quick. Um, Every year, Ship Showdown challenges the community to champion their favorite vehicles with more than 100 pilotable ships, snubs, tanks, hoverbikes, and more. In the verse, there's no shortage of passionate opinions. After thousands of creative submissions which there were. It was very impressive to see. In the first round of epic head-to-head -head battles, we finally entered the Elite Eight, all now available to fly for free. However, now it's time to crown the ultimate ship showdown champion and determine which vehicle is the true community favorite in 2023. 
And so here are your eight ships. Like, I'm not going to repeat everything I literally just said. Um, let's go down to the showdown prizes as I clear my throat. Ship showdown prizes. The final four of this year's ship showdown will be highlighted at the Intergalactic Aerospace Expo later this year with their brand new best in, best in show paints for the 2953, as well as a manufacturer-themed poster. That's cool. However, one ship will be crowned the ultimate winner, joining the ranks of other legendary champions of the biggest annual space smackdown in the verse, and be unlocked to Fryfly for a month. Fry, wow, free fly for a month for all backers. Take the top eight ships for a spin with the live showdown free fly starting today. To allow everyone to make an informed choice, we invite you to take the eight best ships out for a spin until September 7th at 8 p.m. UTC. And again, just like last episode, I, I'm dying on the inside. <laughs> like, uh, I don't know. I'm going to have to do a lot of post-processing um, on this uh, on this podcast. Like My lungs are vibrating and I'm coughing and I, I apologize. Y'all know my quality is not, uh, my bar is higher for quality. So we might actually, because I'm dying, we might actually go pretty quickly through uh, the last segment. Actually, we are. Because I'm feeling it. I'm feeling it, fam. Um, all right. So Inside Star Citizen, we were going to watch it. I don't think I have it in me, unfortunately. Uh, but Inside Star Citizen uh, on Thursday was like kind of a sequel to like the sound exploration. So here we go. I'll just read you the article that I'm probably just going to wrap this guy up. Um, Inside Star Citizen, this sounds like ship. Good play on words. Audio is one of the most crucial elements of creating immersion within gameplay. From the sounds of ballistics hitting your ship to the unique roars of the engines, join us today to explore how we're making ship sounds sound shippier. And it is a great video. If you saw the sound inside Star Citizen a couple of weeks ago, um, I, I loved it. It was basically like how walking on grates inside your ship should sound based on your surroundings. What sound ballistics should sound like, depending on your surroundings. Um, it was a great, great video, um, but it might not have been the best for a podcast because I did a lot of pausing and explaining what subtitles said. Um, so maybe it's a good thing that my voice is, is leaving me and I'm, I'm dying here on podcast. So uh, I love you guys. All right, here we go. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to wrap this guy up. Um, hey, listen, thank you all so much for for hanging through the last two episodes with me. I hope by episode 23, uh, I kick this and, and I'm not dying on, on show with you. If you want to be part of the conversation, please feel free to email us at contact at beyondtheversehq.com. Get involved in all of our socials across every social media platform at forward slash BTV underscore cast. And I think... I'm ready to tease that we have a surprise for episode 24. So not next week, but the week after. Stay tuned for a very, very, very awesome long-form conversation with a community favorite. Can't wait for that. I hope this finds everybody well. If you're getting into Starfield, I wish you the best. Enjoy it. Again, not to rehash the first part of this podcast. Enjoy it. Have a great time. Immerse yourself. You only get one of these games once every 10, 15 years, right? 
go have fun. And until next time, safe travels as you traverse beyond the verse. Take care.